Gig Gab, episode 130 for Tuesday, September 5th, 2017. Greetings, folks, and Welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Los Gatos, California. Yes, it is still here, folks. No matter how hot you heard it was, yeah. it's Paul Kent. Yeah, so, uh, uh, well, first of all, how you doing? I'm good. I okay. cooled off a little bit after a crazy weekend. That's good. So, you and I both had gigs this past week that were, I think, impacted by weather in opposite directions, right? You had mm. you had a really hot gig, and I had two gigs this week, a Tuesday night 9 to midnight 30 gig down on the beach, one beach, and then a Friday night gig down on, on Hampton Beach, and it was like 50 degrees both, each night. You know, That's crazy. So fall came really early for you, right? Yeah. Great sleeping weather. I mean, it's, it's actually my favorite weather, but when you've got gigs, you know, planned a month out, like, no one on that day would say, oh, hey, we should have a band tonight on the beach. You know? <laughs> like, but it was booked in advance. So it's like, oh, OK, I guess. Was anyone there to watch you um, on Tuesday night? Kind of. I mean, there were enough people in and out of this club that um, it was a, a acoustic duo I did with Amanda. And there were enough people in and out of the club that that we couldn't bail. <laughs> yeah. Like we had to just do it, but it worked out fine. We were both, you know, I kept hearing you and me in my head saying, <laughs> always, always be performing. Be, yeah. yeah, man. <laughs> Cause Amanda we were, is really awesome. By the way, those videos. Oh, that you're, yeah. She's really talented. She really is. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. Uh, but man, that night we were having, we were both just dragging and I, you know, there were several moments where I looked, kind of over at her and just saw her really phoning it in. And I'm like, yeah, so am I crap. Like, this isn't good. We're not helping each other here. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and you know, there were like three people in the club, but it was uh. different three people. We kept wondering like, where are you people coming from? You, like, <laughs> the, the beach is over there and it's cold like, and it's the middle of the night. Oh, and funny. then, and then yeah, Friday night was a gig at, uh, down on Hampton beach, but it was weird. I, I suppose the reason they originally booked us was that it was Friday of labor day weekend. And they thought that, you know, it would be packed down there, which normally it would be, but there was no band next door at the, at the casino ballroom, the Hampton beach casino ballroom, which is usually why we play. We, I think I've talked about it. You know, we grab the crowd as they're, we, we attract the crowd as they're coming out of the, the gig and then the bar fills up, but it was fine. It was good. Uh, you know, the band played well. We actually had more of our own crowd in there than we than we generally do, which which turned out to be a really good thing. So, but you had hot gigs, right? Oh man! So we have this Saturday of Labor Day weekend traditional gig. It's called the Los Gatos Park Dance. And um, last year, ideal conditions, we had close to six thousand people there. It's a big gig. Yeah, and it's all it's all about us right. and. Um, uh, this year we hit a hot streak on Thursday and it carried right through. I mean, hot, hot. So our sound check, it was about 108 to 110 at sound check. And, uh, the band that opened for us 
played at five thirty, pretty much high sun, and it was it was pretty much that, and it was still right around a hundred at downbeat at seven fifteen. Oh. Um, yeah, it was it was an insane thing. And the funny thing is, like the weather. So we we've had three days of that, and then um, Monday Labor Day. It was East Coast weather. I mean, it was an overcast sky, really warm, really humid. And then today it, it went down to like 79 degrees or something like that. So something weird is going on. I don't know if it's related to the hurricane or what's going on. But, you know, we get Indian summers, but, you know, come on, 108, yeah. 109, 110. That's, that's something. I will say this. We, it was sublimely ridiculous. Um, we didn't get 6,000 people. Nowhere close. But those right. who were there... You know, people started bringing their chairs out earlier in the day. More people came right around, almost downbeat for us when the sun started going down. That makes and sense. And there was a little sure. break. It was still hot, but it wasn't direct sun. Right. Uh, you know, so, you know, I, I can't even hazard a guess. It was maybe a third the size of previous years. Yeah. But um, those who were there really wanted to be there. The dance floor was full. And the band, you know, nothing was said. But the band just said, listen, this is sublimely silly. Let's just kick butt. And, yeah. you know, we started out at 10 and we ended up at about a 13 and a half. And we just played our butts off, sweated five, six, seven pounds off. I mean, it was really a really cool thing. So and we got a lot of love. It's the type of love. I, I love it when people say like my band. And I love it when people say you guys are great. But I really love it when they people say you guys work your ass off every yeah. time. Yeah. When people when people notice that that resonates with me, and uh, we got huge props for you know having this great show. And what you found was people just joined in the sublime ridiculousness. Well, well that's but also, it. The sh- it's the shared crisis of it, right? Exactly. It, they were sweaty. They were yep. just they were a mess, uh, you know. But they were just on the dance floor, and they were just made the best of a crazy night. Yep. It was still when we it's finished like at nine thirty. We get that when we do snow ge- you know snow day gigs or whatever. Rainy nights, nobody's in the club. Yeah. Snowy nights, man. If you make it to the club, the place is packed. It's You're crazy. having a fun time. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's out. It's like, well, we're here. Might as well just, we're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah. It was 94 at 930 at night when we oh, finished. So, man. Yeah. It was, it was a thing. So, um, but the band really brought it. We, we performed very well. You know, we were, we were somewhat oblivious to the heat while we were going through it. Sure. I started to lose a little bit of gas about 80% of the way through the gig. <laughs> I was having a hard time reaching down and, you know, getting the air for the notes. But yeah. um, but it, it was rewarding and it's rewarding to get the love. It's rewarding to know that your band can fight through something. So that was pretty cool. But um <laughs> I wouldn't do it every weekend. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if if you uh, if you played in Texas, you would. But you know, that's. Oh. Oh. I I would. I'll say this. I would much prefer to sweat on stage than be cold on stage. Yes. I, yes. I, I mean, there there are degrees of either that are uncomfortable. But I, if I have to pick one, I always will go with. Yep. Just uh, let's sweat. Let's go. There's yeah, water. Yep. All right. So we have a great question, a series of great questions that Rob asked in our GigGab group on Facebook at GigGab.com slash Facebook. But uh, first, I have a question for you, Paul. I was driving in my car uh, this weekend and actually I was I, I intentionally listening to Steely Dan uh, because Walter yeah. passed. And uh, and was actually playing some Steely Dan songs for my daughter, sort of introducing her to to the band. You know, I mean, she had heard them, but you know, it was a little more conversational and that sort of thing. And and Pretzel Logic came on, which is a tune that we play in Fling. And it and I and I had not listened to this ver you know to Steely Dan's version 
in years and we've been playing it in fling for years and I'm, maybe I've heard it in the background or whatever, but I hadn't like intentionally actively listened to this song. And I heard a ton of things that that I had forgotten about or didn't know were there. And there was this thought of, OK, what do I do about this? Because this song is a great song in our repertoire. It goes over well. It, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing about it that says, hey, let's find something to fix this song with. And it'll be better, right? It's already there. But there's a lot of things that mm. I've heard in this studio recording that we could translate to make work live, some breaks and things like that. So my question for you is, when you've got a song in your repertoire that is, you know, has become a staple and you happen to hear, you know, whatever the tune is on the radio and you realize there's something missing or something you don't do that you actually like or the tempo's different, like what's your... How do you deal with that? Do you just say, don't touch it, leave it alone? Or do you go and rethink what you've, what you've got working? So, you know, songs are interesting. They're like um, old friends and, you know, like a friendship. If nothing is broken, you know, you don't have to worry about it, but it's kind of cool sometimes to breathe new life into a song. That can often be, that can often be the catalyst for doing that. Right. So of course, finding that little part, that little break, that little, you know, harmonized rhythm, whatever it might be, um, can just make a feel, a song feel brand new sometimes. And so I don't think you stress over it, but you know, it's kind of fun, you know, that you can introduce something, the guys in the band, especially the ones who know the song will get a kick out of it. And I think that that's a kind of a cool thing. You know, I, I like that, I don't think, you know, the world doesn't come to an end. If the song is working for you, great. Sure. But one yeah, way yeah. to keep one way to keep a song from getting stale huh. is to reintroduce those things. Or when you like we put songs on the shelf sometimes for a couple of years. And when you pull it out, it's like seeing an old friend again. Oh, that's Especially great. Especially yeah. when you when you pull it out and you pull it out because you heard something and you want to see, you forget why that song got stale for you in the first place. And then you can, you know, it takes on a new life and becomes, you know, a new, a new entity. And, uh, and sometimes there's a lot of fun to reinvent a song that way. So just because you go back and listen to a song and it has another part, I don't think that in and of itself is reason to change it, especially if it's working. But, yeah. you know, those things, if it's a song you loved enough to put into your repertoire to begin with, sometimes a little polish, you know, put a little lipstick on it and all of a sudden it becomes a new song to you and you find new things to love about the song. And that's, you know, part of a song going over like is that. Yeah. the band's buy-in is a big part of it. Oh, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. And so of if, course. If, the, if the song's gotten stale, which sometimes they do, even songs that work for you, yep. it gets stale. So, you know, what can you do? Go back and give a listen and see if there are things that you totally forgot were in there. Or, you know, like we were talking about last week, listen to how the band, you know, interpreted live. Yeah. Are there, right. You know, you know, all, there's all sorts of things, but that's kind of my thought. Like just because you heard something, doesn't mean you have to add it, but you know, if you do, it's just a way to keep something fresh. There you go. Uh, so that's, that's kind of one thing. Right, that's but, good. Yeah. 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 So that's speaking about answer. Walter Becker, you know, rest in peace and, and Steely Dan, you know, it's a funny thing. Um, I'm Facebook friends with, uh, a, a player in one of my favorite bands. Uh, his name's John Isley and he plays in Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. He's a, he's a, uh, saxophone player. Okay. And, and he posted something the other day, was which is something that I feel exactly. He was like, got to be honest with you, I'm really sorry that he passed, and I get it, 
but Steely Dan just never did it for me. Oh. And when and I feel exactly the same way. And it's like sacrilege for many people to hear that. But there's some cool things in Steely Dan's. We play Peg. We used to play my old school. Yeah. Um, we tried Bodhisattva, but we didn't get really, really very far in that. That's, that's a deceptively difficult tune to play. Yeah. 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 But, um, you know, Steely Dan is an interesting thing. Some cool stuff, but the overwhelming emotion I have about Steely Dan is that people think they're supposed to like it more than they like it because it implies some level of sophistication or complexity or, you know, it's how jazz touches rock. Right. I, well, that- I actually, I don't, I don't, it's kind of like jazz. There's a lot of people who say they like jazz, but they have no idea what they're saying that they like. They're saying it because they think that they're supposed to say it in my, in my town. There's actually a very thriving blues scene mm. and you find a lot of people who say they like the blues, but a lot of the blues that gets played here is, is not great blues. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's bad John Lee hooker, right? Sure, sure. There's some great, there's some great players here. Certainly some great guitar players in this area, but, uh, blues like jazz and dot the line to Steely Dan, there's a certain level of pretension that, you know, if you say you like Steely Dan, you know, you're implying that you have some kind of a sophisticated palette for music. Um, and I, I think that that's a, a large part of their vibe. They, they've done some genius things, without a doubt, amazing songs, but they don't connect with me. And I, and I question. I can, I can see that. No, yeah, yeah it, it, I was it, like I said, I was big time. I'm going to get such hate mail over this. No, well, maybe yeah, not. <laughs> certainly not for me. I, I I'm a fan of Steely Dan, I, but I'm not like Gaga over them. But I totally respect. I I'm a fan of more of what they did and how they did it than than the product. I like a lot of their songs, but but again, I'm not Gaga over them. But I really am Gaga over what like how they did what they did. And and this was sort of what I was explaining to to my daughter yesterday. She's 17. And she, like I said, she had heard some tunes, but it was a good opportunity. We were driving home from the lake and it was just the two of us in the car. And so, you know, it was a good opportunity to play some songs and just chit chat. And, and it, you know, Steely Dan made it cool to be a, a music geek at yeah. a time when that was not a cool thing to be. Right. And so, so, so from that standpoint, I really liked what they did. I also liked that they, you know, would have like the top level musicians come in and play on a track. And then the next day have different top level musicians come in and play on the same track. And then they just mix and match and say, oh yeah, that drummer with this bass player. Okay. Yeah. This is the right thing for this particular song. Yeah. And, you know, and I heard this guitar player playing over uh, and this other thing. I think he would be good for that song and just piecing it together and really being intentional and obsessive, obviously, about how they did what they did. I really liked and and it, it you know, they I mean, they lucked out sort of having that as part of their I mean, as, as the core of what they did, but also somehow they are included in that foundational definition of classic rock, right? So, you know, you can find people that are total jazz snobs that, that don't, or at least didn't like rock and roll that would say, Oh yeah, except Steely Dan, like those guys. And it was cause they were hiring, you know, these jazz cats and, and top level musicians to play with them. It was like, Oh yeah, well, I can, I can respect their music. Cause they, they, they really play. 
and their clever lyrics or whatever. But at the same time, you can find, you know, some backyard barbecue where you've got, you know, Skinner, ACDC, and then Steely Dan, and it totally fits because it's in this classic rock thing. So I, I like, I respect the fact that they were able to just sort of bridge all gaps. Um, that is what people say. And that's usually what people cite. Yeah. And what I don't like is the little bit of hypocrisy or dogma that goes around their mystique. Right. I mean, I think I just have always felt like people like them because they feel like they're supposed to like them or hmm. some kind of expression of uh, sophistication or taste. Yeah. Well, they, they, they sort of defined or uh, I think they did define college rock, right. That, that sophisticated, you know, I'm going to think about what the, this is. I'm going to have quirky lyrics that, you know, you have to be well read to just understand, let alone whether or not you appreciate the joke that they slipped in there. Right. Yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, and I mean, I think that's cool. I, 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 I understand why people like them for that. That's actually part of why I like them. Is, well, there you go. Is they, 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 you know, they, they did this diff, very different thing and they were just geeks about it. Um, and that, I think that's cool. Yeah. My view of the world is that rock and roll is the populist music, right? It, you know, uh, uh, I don't, I don't give points for complexity for the sake of complexity. Right. Yeah. But those to me, guys, about, to me, those guys, those guys incorporated complexity in a way for me that made the songs actually work. I mean, you go, you go tear apart peg, right? There are so, I, I actually was just listening to a, a solo drum tracks of, of Rick Murata playing that groove. And I've played that peg groove, you know, basically the entire time I've been playing the drums. It was one of the first songs I learned. There were parts to it. I had no idea that he was doing, you know, yeah. and it's like, wow. And he even said, yeah, you'll hear it. Like you won't hear this. It's buried in there, but this is what propels it along. It's like, he's right. You know, it's like, yeah. wow, they, they're really meticulous about that. Well, I mean, there's no doubt that the playing is stellar. The Denny Diaz solos, the Larry Carlton, you know, yeah. Kid, Char- Kid Charlemagne is probably arguably the greatest solo on, on uh, you know, <laughs> in rock history. I would say it's definitely one of the most amazing sets of musical achievement. Yep. And I love Larry Carlton and I love Larry Carlton's solo stuff. But again, still, I, I always have this thing about about Steely Dan. It's that it uh, complexity for complexity's sake, and I, you know I kind of like I like oh, my yeah. rock and roll. No, they were they were obsessive and perfectionists for for the sake of being obsessive perfectionists. All right, that's my rant on Steely Dan. No, that's I, I don't disagree with you. It just it, it and that's the interesting thing. Like t- to you, that's a turn off, mildly so. It, you know, and for me, it's a turn on, mildly so. So there you go. Boom. All right. Yeah. So Rob posted back on August 31st, some really, really fun, challenging questions. And I think we could probably take a shot at most of these here. I think right? so. Yeah. You want me to read All the right. first one or you want you to go take first? It? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Being in one or more bands, how do you juggle the dates? Is it first come first serve or the band you joined first gets preference pros and cons? How do you, uh, I guess I'll stop right there. Well, no, I guess that's good. Uh, and then sort of the follow up to that is, and then how do you handle marquee gigs like new year's Eve or, or other key nights? So, so I have a question about the second part, but let me just jump into this first part. Yes. And we have two different perspectives. We have band leader and sideman, yeah. you know, kind of perspectives on this. So from a band leader, um, I, like I said, I want to put a consistent 
band on stage every time. Yep. I want our audience to get to know my band and, you know, root for their favorites and know who's going to be playing. I want a consistent sound. I want a consistent vibe. And so I try and do everything I can to discourage subbing. It took me a really long time with my horn section because horn players aren't built to be band people. They're built right. to be, right. you know, they're not groomed that way. Yeah. For work. Yeah. And my approach has always been to keep the band working and keep them getting paid and uh, and then you earn loyalty. Yeah. And then now that we work so much, I can demand the loyalty. So if I have to you know, choose someone. It's part of the deal. If I have to replace somebody, it's part of the deal now. But my uh, from a leader, you know, I pretty much tell the guys you can't take another gig until it's 30 days in. And uh-huh. I book most of my stuff three, three months at least out. Yeah. So if I haven't booked you on the first of July, you can take anything you want in July. Yep. And I always say, listen, remember, you like I don't sub my rhythm section. So it's like if you were to take a gig, you're causing nine guys not to work. Yep. Right. And yeah, so, you know, totally. I, I, I play that card, have played that card. But now we work enough where I've earned their loyalty, respect and priority. So it's a two way street. You can't just demand it and expect musicians to stay home and not work. But um, so so that's my view about subbing and juggling other projects. I, you know, I prefer that they were always available to me, but that's unrealistic. Right. And so that's 30 day. And I learned that from a really top working band in the area that that's what they required. And they're like, listen, if, if you sub out more than, I think he's, I think that you got two, two passes in a year. Yeah. And this is for the, you know, you're not first call anymore and let's just call a spade a spade, but let's just understand this is, this is what you're, this is what you're risking. I've had a guy in my band say, listen, Hey, um, I haven't played jazz in a while. I'm going to go take a jazz gig. And, you know, this was like six months in advance. I was like, that's not how we do things here. I said, if you know, if you're not gonna be loyal to me, why should I be loyal to you? And so, So even, even six months out, that's a, well, if that was the stated deal, then, then I could see why that's a problem for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. For me, one guy could keep nine guys from working and that's uh, not cool. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, it's, um, first come first serve. Uh, it, and and it, it's a little more nuanced than that, but um, but but generally that's it. Once a once a gig is on my calendar, um, you know it it takes a lot for me to uh, to to even consider moving that. Uh, what are the know. nuances? Well, the nuance is it, it, re- rehearsals, right? I will always play a gig over doing a rehearsal. Um, right. And yeah. I mean, maybe a week out if, 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 you know, I mean, I realize sometimes it's like moving heaven and earth to get a rehearsal to happen, you know, especially when there's 10 guys or, you know, even five guys. So if the rehearsal's important and it's not just a, hey, we should get together next week, but it's like, hey, we need to get together because of X and that's on the schedule. And then, you know, I get a call for a gig a week out from that. I probably won't take the gig, but, you know, a month out or something from a rehearsal. Yeah, absolutely. Every time I'll take the gig. So I- I find that, um, but otherwise I won't, I won't bounce a gig just because a different gig, I don't want to even want to say a better gig, but yeah. uh, you know, any gig comes in cause that's, that's going to burn. And I've been actually very recently burned, even taking a, a gig in, in place of a rehearsal. Right. But, right. Right. But you know, whatever. I mean, it's, I, I'm consistent. <laughs> there's, there's no I had questions. A guy, yep. I had a guy bail on a gig with me because he got a higher paying gig and I never called mm. him again. Yeah, of course never. you didn't. Right. right. I know I can respect that. Yeah. So there is this kind of leverage at play, right? So, you know, even though you have your rule first in first out, Mm -hmm. if it's a band, you know, that wants to rely on you, do you tell them 
I'm playing another another band. Oh, of course. I yeah. may not be available, you know, when you need me to be available. Yeah. Now, there will be um, I have done it where, you know, let's say I get a call three months out for a, a gig and I know that whatever date that is might be something where a band that I place a higher priority on might want to work. Right. And so I'll say, hey, you know, hang on. Give me, you know, give me five hours or something to get back to you and commit to this gig. You know, b- 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 phone call number one. And then uh, and then I ask the, the either the leader of the other band or if it's a you know more of a democracy, I'll just ask the band. Hey, uh, are we are we all open to play this this particular date? Should I hold this date open for us? Do we think we're going to want to get you know, do we think something's coming in? Uh, and if especially if it's like a New Year's Eve type of thing. Um, I'll ask like, Hey, all right. You know, I want to give this band priority for, for new year's Eve or whatever the date is. Should I, you know, decline this other gig? And sometimes it'll be like, Oh no, I'm out that night too. Okay, great. Glad I asked, you know, I'll go take this other gig. Sometimes it'll be like, Oh no, actually, you know, I think we should get something. And it's like, okay, I'll decline the other gig. And and so mm-hmm. I'll do, I'll do that. But that's sort of my own internal prioritization. Like that's where I'll do that you know, prioritizing one band over another is okay. Hey, you know, should I carve this out? How's that going to work? But otherwise, yeah. once it's on the thing and I, for all the people that I'm in bands with, I keep a, um, it's actually not a Google calendar because that's more difficult to keep, but it's just a list of dates that I update every two weeks, um, of everything where I'm booked versus available, you know, every mm. Thursday through Sunday or something of every week. And that's, that's worked out well. Cause then people can see it and say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. Have you ever had a leader conveniently forget that you told him this was your deal when you joined his band? Uh-uh. Huh. No, because I'm really, <laughs> because I'm really clear about it. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, it's because, I mean, you have to be, and, but it's a two way street. Like when, you know, like what you're saying, you want somebody to do, you know, to commit to 30 days. Okay. Well, let's, let's have that conversation. I've never had somebody say that to me. So I've never, I've never had to say yes or no to that particular, you know, um, idea. It's, but it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, so know, have you ever had a leader talk. come to you and say, I know you got another gig this night, but this thing came in, it's a really good opportunity or pay night or something like this. Yeah. Or do you start by saying, you need to have three subs available if you want me in your band. Um, I, I, those are, that is not a, th- those are not necessarily related things. Um, because I have had, I have never had, I've never told somebody you got to have three subs available, but I, yes, I have had that conversation where somebody calls and says, um, Yes. Or, or, Hey, look, we've got this gig. I know you're booked. What are, what would it take to move that? And, and, and there have been times where, you know, it's like, all right, let me, let me make some phone calls here. Let let me see what I can do. You know, give me a few hours. And, and there have been times when we've been able to, you know, one band's been able to move something around or make it work so that I I can free me up. And there've been times when it hasn't. It's like, yeah, no, I can't do that. gig. How stressful is it when, band leader a comes to you with that and says pretty good gig for us. Yeah. And just that conversation with band leader B. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's very stressful. I mean, I, yeah, I, I would prefer not to have gigs conflict, but I'm also not someone that's happy playing in just one outfit. 
I, you know, I mean, and I don't even want to say one band because I do these theater things and, you know, this other stuff. So it's a it's a major juggling act. It, you know, I, it really resonated with me when we had Kenny Aronoff on and we were talking with him about the same thing. And he's you know, we asked him, do you have an assistant or whatever? He says, well, yeah, I have an assistant for everything else that I do. But my schedule is mine. Uh. And I'm like, yeah, man. Okay. So there is no magic answer to this. There's, there's not someone out there that can magically be you. And that's, that's the reality of it. So yeah, you just, you know, I mean, I think that's what it is. Every, every cat's got to, you've got to pick and, and, and really think about it. I mean, it, it, you know, it's obvious. I, I overthink, I overthink everything, right? Anybody who listens, to but uh, you like, this is a good thing to overthink and to come up with your own internal policy so that when you find yourself in these pickles, you say, okay, wait a minute. What are my values on this? What have I always done? How can I be consistent? Because that's the most important thing, right? If somebody's hiring you or in a band with you, which could, you know, is a form of hiring, but you know, it takes on various forms. Uh, if somebody's, they, they want to know what they, they're going to get out of you, both in terms of playing, but also in terms of reliability. Commitment. Yeah. And if you're just clear about that, I mean, the, the worst thing I could do to somebody is join, you know, let's say I joined Uptown Celebration, right? This new band that I'm in and said, oh, yeah, I'll cancel anything for you guys. Don't worry. Like, you know, I just said whatever I needed to say to get the gig. Right. And and then, you know, <laughs> within the first six months or whatever, push comes to shove on something. I'm like, oh, no, I can't cancel that gig for, for yours. Nope. I got to keep this one like that. That would be awful. They They would they would and should fire me. Right. Yeah. Because now I'm being inconsistent, much better, even though it's a little more difficult up front to say, no, no, here's how I run my schedule. What are you what what are you looking for? And is there enough middle ground that we can both be like, yeah, OK, that's fair. You know, fine, because Uptown's only booking me, you know, whatever, 10 to 15 nights a year. And they get that. So they're like, yeah, yeah, OK, you know, it's fine. Mm. So you just mm. you find the situations that work for you and the ones that don't you say, hey, no, thanks. Yep. Yeah. So the second part of the question, how do you handle marquee gigs like New Year's Eve? I didn't understand that question. You think that's relative to the juggling of dates question? Yeah, I think that's exactly what what he was asking. And that's kind of what I was saying is, you know, when I get a call for a New Year's Eve gig, if it's with a, you know, a, a band or even like a theater troupe or something that says, oh, we're thinking about doing this thing on New Year's Eve. It's like, uh, OK, hold, hold that thought. Um let me check with like Uptown in this case, you know, do we think we're going to have a New Year's gig? Because that could be a big payday for everybody. That's a night they, you know, they try to reserve to work. And so it's worth having that conversation. So, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. New Year's Eve always was a, in, early on in my band's days. You know, that's a that's a big pay night for musicians and the horns would get casuals at hotels. And, sure. You know, five, six hundred bucks. And, you know, and and, you know, they would be gone. And, and I like I said, I'd be left with a band when, you know, not very good alternatives. Right. And so our band. So it, I would just restress. It's all about that uh, gained credibility and gained leverage. Yep. And it's like, all right, well, you, if you go take that six hundred dollar gig, I should be able to replace you for these four other four hundred dollar gigs. You know, and so are you coming out ahead or behind by making this decision? Yeah, and oh, that, no, that, that's that right. Yeah, yeah, and and that's going to happen. I mean, I you know, I um, like that. Like I said, that rehearsal that I that I can't do means now that I don't get you know five nights of of paying gig. Like okay, it's yeah. fine. I mean, it's but you know, like, okay, but yeah. like that's just how it works. You got to kind of. 
I, I don't know. You just got to have your system and go and, and, you know, be able to sleep at night. That's it. <laughs> like, that's it. That's how it goes. I, I think what you're saying is the, the amount that you are able to clearly articulate your position on this mm-hmm. from the onset is what's key to that. That's the key is, is yes. And, and almost being overly articulate up front. I mean, you don't want to, you know, scare somebody off by, by, you know, creating all these, these straw man scenarios of, well, if this happens, I'm going to do this or if that happens, but you know, painting a clear picture of here's who I am. Here's how this is. I think that's helpful. Yeah. There are a couple corporate bands when I use that term corporate band, you know what I mean? Like bands yeah. are kind of built for corporate work yeah. and um, they um, ingeniously, they build their, their bands systematically to the degree where on their website, the guys don't use their real names right. or they use me because we're not going to promise you these five guys. It, and a lot of these bands, you know, the leader is usually the front man or sometimes, you know, like out here, there are some instances where a booking agent has put together this entity. So he knows he can go out and, and sell this. He's a salesman, essentially. There's a, there's a lot and, of that here. Yep. There you go. And so he's like, you know, I'm a booking agent. And I've got contacts. I can make money off these contacts. I'm going to, you know, audition a band. And, you know, the the I, I want one band that's a tribute band. I want one band that's a female-fronted band. I want one band that's a costume band. And he has his inventory of bands. Yep. And he goes out to market with them. And he says, okay, Apple, you know, what's your event? What do you want to, what do, you want to do? And, and here are my four bands. Sometimes he'll play in those bands. But, um, but that concept that the parts are interchangeable, that's certainly a way to ensure that you can always work. Right. Yeah. So it's, this a bu- means- it's a buffer against the, the, the inevitable scheduling conflict. Yep. And you give up tightness to a degree. You give up being able to do cool, funky things within songs. Often, sure. you, you know, the things that require rehearsal and familiarity, you're giving that up for the flexibility of always knowing I've got a pool of four drummers, three guitar players, you know, six bass players, two keyboards. We have these 35 songs. This is our show. Yeah. You guys will always be ready. Yep. And, uh, and, and, we'll, and we can plug you in. That certainly is a business strategy. It's not very creatively satisfying to me, but I get why it works. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and there's degrees of that. I know a couple of companies. There's one company out of Boston that came to mind when you started describing this. And they've got like four bands that do exactly the same type of thing. And so they can do these intricate things, but they don't really tell you like which version of that band you're going to get. They just say, you're going to get this band. Okay, great. And then you get one, you know, you either get A, B, C or D and it's not ranked. It's just the, you know, which of these lineups is, is available and assigned to your gig but they that lineup always plays together. So if the drummer for that lineup's not available, okay, well then we go with with the the next. Oh, interesting. You know. you know this what isn't I mean? quite that grand. It's not like an A team, B team, C team. It's yeah. more like, like I said, there's the familiar. The familiar point is typically the front man. Yeah. Well, there's right. one that right. doesn't do that. There's, I told you about that um, one band in our area that plays the yacht rock and they all wear fake mustaches and captain's hats. And there's a, you know, that's almost a disguise to some degree. Uh, and there's some true. interchangeability even amongst their front men. Yep. So, you know, that's, that's just, again, it's a, it's an approach. Uh, you know, the product there is the shtick of the band and the, and the repertoire. Yep. It's not dependent upon, upon the, personality of, of one or two people. So it's an approach again, not, not the way I would want to do it. You right. know, I want to 
I want to be part of a team yeah, yeah, and yeah. I want to bring my team to the game every time. And that's, that's the way it's, it dawns on me to do this stuff. But so this content about marquee gigs, uh, like New Year's Eve, A, I like them. Um, B, um, you know, I really insist on putting the best product on stage all the time. And so, you know, I, I want to make sure I, I have a little bit of, a little bit of flexibility if it's like a, you know, like a house party or something like that. But even to that degree, you know, the you people never, who hire us, who's there, that's right. That, and, and you never know, did they hire us because they happen to be a fan of that trombone player? Yeah. And, and then he's not there and, and it's a letdown. So it's about your brand. What does your brand stand for? Does your brand stand for consistency and audience identification? Does your, does your brand stand for, you know, this kind of like interchangeable parts thing, you know, well, that's, they, that's another interesting thing. Like when you're being booked for a private party, it's really worth your while to stop in that kind of in that negotiation or, or in the, the logistics coordination. I mean, you probably already worked out like money and all that stuff. But when you're coordinating logistics at some point before the gig, it's really good to ask somebody, what is it about, you know, my band that made you decide to hire us. What? Yeah. Like, because you can then go and deliver that. Like you don't have to, it, 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 it's not like you're giving them, you know, carte blanche to write the set list, but if they say, Oh yeah, I really like it when you guys play those tower power horn tunes, or, you know, I really like all the, the, you know, like eighties cure dance music that you, okay, well, you know what? Th that's great to know. Let me write that down so that we can be sure to put those songs in the list. Cause otherwise we might not play any of that stuff. Right. Like, that's you, smart. You know, it's just, it, yeah, just ask the question. Like, what is it about us? What's your favorite thing about our band? You, you know, like you don't have to ask it in a weird way. You can find creative ways to ask it. Um, but, oh, and while we're at it, I got to share it. Too. <laughs> no, no, this is Amanda is brilliant. I, you mentioned Amanda earlier. She, um, she's been doing, you know, I, I, I started doing gigs with her almost a year ago and, and she was doing kind of like smaller gigs and, and not great paying things or whatever and kind of honing her craft. And, and then she actually wound up uh, playing with this other drummer for a while cause she was dating him. And so I wasn't playing with her for a long time. And I had introduced her to Paul Costley, uh, who we had on the show and he was getting her all these great gigs and, and it was great for her. It was like, Oh, it kind of sucks though. Cause I never saw any of that. money. <laughs> I mean, it's not that I expected a cut of it, but you know, I mean, like if I play the gigs with her, I get, I get a cut of it. Yeah. And, and then, um, unfortunately she and, and this guy broke up. And so it was like, Oh, okay, great. I'm back in the, I'm back in the game. <laughs> um, and, uh, but one trick that she picked up that I wanted to share is she always has a tip jar, but you know, the, the idea of drawing attention to the tip jar is always such a difficult little dance. Like you want people to know it's there. You certainly want people to put money in it, but you know, you don't want to be begging between every song. So what she does is she printed up like a bunch of cards or whatever that just have her website on them and you know, her picture or whatever. And, uh, and she'll tell people, oh, yeah, and if you want to see when I'm going to be back here next or where else I'm playing, come up and get a card. I've got them right here next to the tip jar. Oh, that's good. Oh, it's br and the first time I was on stage with her and she did it. I'm like, man, that's brilliant. We got to the set break. I'm like, that's awesome. She's like, oh, did you like that? You know, <laughs> like there's actually a lot of cool ideas out there to find about how to do the tip jar. Um I put out an open guitar case at my solo gigs and yep. 
you know, I actually never, ever, I, you know, I put a couple bucks in to get started, but I never, ever call attention to it. When we do Acoustic Madness, Steve is brilliant. You know, he is like, you know, thank you, you know, for if you can, he, he will call attention to it. He has this one joke, you know, we like to introduce you to the fourth member of Acoustic Madness, Philip. Philip, <laughs> but the ones that That's I like, awesome. people make signs that they put over their tip jars, you know, that are like, you know, donate here to, you know, send Justin Bieber to, you know, sure. Catholic school or something like that, or, you know, put out two tip jars this week's, this week's survey, chocolate or vanilla or, you know, ACDC oh, or like Aerosmith. So there's a, there's some pretty clever ideas you can get on the internet about how to make the tip jar a little bit more of a, of a clever thing stimulate the donation process yeah 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 i yeah i like it that's god that's good i like the the two tip jars and the yeah, yeah. that's good uh, i like it yeah man. all right next one song selection who chooses songs is it the leader of the band or the musician having to sing it and what criteria do you use for choosing new material i will share this when i started the band when i started the house rockers i had a pretty specific vision for how the band should be um, the style of music that I wanted us to be known for and, you know, what we wanted to do. And I, and I was choosing all, all of the songs. I bet that doesn't come as a surprise to anybody listening. There you go. There However, you, go. you know, I, I had a guy join my band who was talented. And um, when I would talk about, about that, I want people's emotional buy-in to the band. He would raise the point. Like if you want my buy-in, let me sing the songs that I feel. And, and that was a turning point where I had to decide about, do I want this talented guy in my group yeah, or do I want control? And it's, it's a, it's a tough one, you know, because I like control, you know, it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, I like to do what course. I want to do. Yeah. But, but, um, uh, and sometimes we go out into material that I don't know is, is what I would want for this group anymore. Yep. And I've had to learn to be okay with the fact that, you get more from the buy-in than you do from the control. Huh. And, you know, remember, exercising control, you know, life is about leverage. You know, where is your leverage? So I can exercise control, but if people don't like it, I think I told the story that when we first started the band, I was picking a lot of songs because I thought I was the smartest guy in the world. And I was like, you know, nobody plays th these East Coast rock songs out here on the West Coast. And if we play them well and play them enthusiastically, we'll go over and people will enjoy hearing something that they, they haven't heard. Right. Right. Yeah. And and I, I had a hard time getting musicians bought into it. They would intellectually play down the charts, you know. But there was something that just wasn't feeling right to me and it was and it was buy in. And so there's a long lesson in that. And so I think that, you know, what is your band situation is like, yeah, it's, it's different for every say, band. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. do you say, listen, we're an 80s cover band. And so we're going to choose 80s music and that's the way it's going to go. I don't care that you like 90s or 70s. We are an 80s cover band and this is the way it has to be. Do, you know, is there latitude and leverage? And, you know, can you sell the thing that someone else wants you to? want you to play. Right. Right. And right. so, you know, that's kind of the conversation. So it goes back to leadership style. I mean, the guy, the guy running the well, band really organization style, right. Is your band a leader run band or yeah. is it, you know, democracy. is it a, a semi democracy? I mean, you know, fling is, is it's a semi democracy. Um, but you know, there's it's a semi democracy because of nobody wants the leadership role. Um, it's a semi-democracy because 
it, people's personalities are different. It's not that no one wants the leadership role. It's that some people don't want it. So really it's, it's, you know, Russ and I, um, at times are either sharing the leadership role or one of us is taking it or the other one is, um, but Mike does all the bookings. So it, there, there's shared responsibilities and all of that. Uh, yeah. But like Uptown is a hundred percent Gary's band. You know, there's, there's, I mean, it's, it, it is a band. Everybody like interacts like a band would we all have, you know, when we have dinner, I mean, it's all fine, but song selection and that sort of thing. It's Gary's band. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, look, that's fine. That's, that's well, what you, it is. you know, that going in, you know, and, it going in. And again, right. I had that point where I could have said, Nope, you know, I know you're a talented guy, <laughs> but, but you know, my vision is what I'm after here. And, you know, I could have made that decision and uh, yeah, I mean, there's not a right or wrong to it. There's, understand no, it's just being there's clear. trade-offs yeah. yeah if you have a woman come to you and she sings like aretha franklin and you know your band will now get many more gigs at, at a better pay rate you know whatever your goals are for the band because you've come across this you know gem of a talent uh you know you might be willing to change your your role you yeah. might say listen i have five years and umpteen thousands of dollars in building this band into what it is i you know i haven't I haven't realized what I want to realize in this yet. I don't want to change course. Both valid, you know, yeah. not not right or wrong. So, so I think no, it depends that's on the right. situation. Yeah, but just make yeah. sure the, you know, the the woman who can sing like Aretha knows that you're going to hire her to sing like Gwen Stefani. Uh, I mean, well, right. if that's what you're, you're doing. Make her sing like Gwen Stefani. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. know that. I mean, because that, yep. that's kind of like what I'm dealing with. And it's fine. I, we joke about it all the time. And in Uptown, you know, we had to do a gig without our, our female singer a couple of weeks ago and and so, you know, Gary sent out this list. He's like, Dave, I assigned a bunch of songs to you. Let me know which ones are out of your range. It's like, yeah, yeah all of them. But yeah. it, it, like, I mean, he did. It was like, Gary, every single one of these is out of my range. Um, but, you know, and, and for the second time, I sent him an email. And I, I, are you, you know, required to play him in the original key? Uh, yeah, we could move him around. I, I, yeah. I mean, the band's the band is is fluid enough that that could happen. But it was like, hey, instead of me, like, I don't know these songs to sing them. I mean, even moving them to a different key, I would still need to learn how to sing these songs in a week or whatever it is. And so I'm like, hey, again, I'll just send you a list. Here's all the songs that I actually know how to sing, none of which we do. And maybe someday, you know, one of these fits with what you want to do. And he's like, yeah, maybe someday. I'm like, OK, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, it's fine. He's, you know, he's busy. He's running a restaurant. What can I do? There you go. Yeah. So the last part of this question is um, what criteria do you use for choosing new material? How often do you add new songs and how often do you rehearse? So criteria. So um, this is a really good question to me because I'm facing this with my group right now. It's like I was, as I said last week, I've been really inspired by a lot of the bands that have come down to this music series I run. And pretty much across the board, these bands are successful and work a lot because they play stuff that you know. Um, for two hours, you know, you, you hit the dance floor on note one and you're there through encore. And it's because you're singing along to every song that somehow feels appealing to me right now. I am having some discussions in my own band because the guys like, no, that's not who we are. Right. What we do is we go find those cool things and we bring them in. Yep. And so there's a, a healthy intellectual discussion going on about this. My thought is this right now. My thought is this. There are so many great songs over the past 60 years that 
connect with people all the time. I, I don't know why you get the points for going out to, you know, something pretty obscure to showing that you can do it. And that sounds overly harsh. It's not, that's not actually the point that I'm making. No, no, no. My this point is your more, point. Like, like, I mean, we, this is the discussion we had last week about, you know, what is your band's repertoire, right? I right. mean, it's okay. That's fine. Um, I will say this. It's not the guy who's booking it. You want to keep that guy motivated, right? Yes. So here's the deal. If you give me a product that I can't go out and sell, don't, I don't want to waste my time. Right. You got it. So, so just because you think it's cool or it's, you know, important to you or it's creatively important to you, if it's not going to get us money, it, you know, and th- in my band, the goal is good paying gigs and more good paying gigs. Right. Sure. Right. So we right. kind of gotten to that point where that's where we're defining success. Not that there aren't some places, sometimes somewhere where you can't stretch, but the shortest path to the goals that we have is songs, you know, by heart, low hanging fruit. And, and this goes to keeping the guy who books the band motivated. No, you do. So, you have to. And, and that can, I mean, for in your band, that's you. Right. And so right now what motivates you is the songs that are easy to sell. Right. Um, in but, Flame, I, but I'm not, here's a funny thing in my band, the discussion was like, well, we don't want to be like other bands. I'm like, dudes, we're already like, other I was bands. just going to say you are like other bands, half, half of our repertoire. The other half might be more interesting, but sure. half of the repertoire, the money, half the stuff that's getting us the you stuff know, that you're actually telling people about when you, when you book the band, exactly the second set, the thing that is like, yeah. you know, here's, here's the money, you know, here, we're going to keep you going for, for, you know, an hour and 15 minutes. You know, that that's the same stuff that other people are playing. Yep. Yeah, we add a five-piece horn section to it. Yeah, we put some funky stops and things. Yeah, we string them together in creative and, and uh, what I think, you know, interesting and fun ways. We break them down in interesting and fun ways. So, so we do some interesting different things to it. But my point being is, like, there are so many songs that have resonated with people over years. You know, going to deep B-sides or obscure bands that, that don't have the traction, yep. it, it's a harder sell. You know, and if, if your band's goal, if your band's goal is to be a, a band that if you come see us, you, you know, we guarantee you're going to hear some things you haven't heard and we're going to stretch, go, go do that. You know, yeah. that, that's fine. You know, <laughs> if that's the band's goal, but I don't think it's a, a reasonable thing to say. Well, it's uh, like, it's like the discussion we had with Sayakotos, right? When about aha songs, not, yeah. not, songs by the band aha although that is one of the you know take on me is one of those but uh but it's it like that can be a thing and and a lot of what we wind up doing in fling is that those songs that that we so to answer rob's question how do we add new songs it's a rolling thing uh somebody will have something we'll we'll mention it in rehearsal we might listen to it once and then sort of just roughly like play through it and see if there's how, some magic, if there. there's a, enough like, oh, OK, we've learned enough. I mean, we've been together over a decade. So, you know, we we sort of know when yeah. something might work or, or not. And then we'll let it. And then if it if it passes that first sort of litmus test, then we'll all sort of go home and learn it. Somebody will chart it out. We'll come back. And we'll play it and we'll do this for a couple of rehearsals. We don't rehearse every week anymore, but, um, but you know, over the course of a month or two, we'll play it another three or four times. And then you, you, again, it's, it, it's an, it's an intentionally organic thing is, is the best way I can describe it efficiently that we we're aware of what we're doing, but we're not 
trying to shoehorn anything here. We know that the best way for a song to work for us is if it just actually works for us. Now, sometimes it's, hey, this one little bit's not working. Let's tweak this. Or I had an idea. Let's do that. But that's only going to that's only going to even come up in conversation if the gist of the tune is working for us. Mm, yeah. I agree. And and then it's like, OK, cool. Great. And we know that we get almost I won't say as much traction. You know, there's there's the there's like you said, the low hanging fruit, right? The Mustang Sally's and the Sweet Home Alabama's. And, and you know, I mean, September's on that list and Uptown Funk's on that list. The thing doesn't play all those tunes, but it, it, we play the first two. We don't play the the soul stuff. But um, but, you know, there's a lot of those tunes that just work no matter what, even if you sort of play them like crap. Um, but we get almost as much traction out of a sort of one of those aha songs that we play really well, where somebody's like, oh, wow, I've never, I, you know, I, I, I haven't heard a band play this song in a long time or I haven't heard this song at all in a long time. And and if as long as we're into it and playing it well, that can go over really well in a club for us. So, and, and we've, again, we've sort of learned to, to gauge how that's going to happen. And we don't always get it right. There's sometimes where we're like, Oh, this song's going to be killer. And we play it. And it's like, okay, nope, never mind. But, the, but the reverse is true too. Like sometimes it's like, and I think each of us might have a different feeling, you know, on any given song coming into it. We know we play sure. it well, and then we'll try it live. And I've been pleasantly surprised. It's like, Oh no kidding that dude. <laughs> All right. And that happens as much with originals too. You know, we, we'll we'll put tunes together and especially with originals, you have no idea how people are going to react to it because it's not a song that's part of, you know, the 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 lexicon of, of rock and roll. So you don't know. It's not like Sweet Home Alabama where, you know, OK, yeah, this people dance to this song. You could you could start asking why you might not be able to answer why people like hit the dance floor within the first five notes of Sweet Home Alabama. But they do. Right. And it, and there's some of that magic there. And sometimes that happens. We've got we had an a, a, especially this one original Hamburg Station Blues that we introduced last year. It's just instantly the dance floor is full. And the That's first cool. time that happened was like, oh, oh yeah, I can see why that would happen. But you know, it was totally unexpected for us because because we were so deep into it. We had you know Russ had brought it as a song he wrote, and then it was you know we tweak it and we learn it and add harmonies and you know piece it all together and now we're way too deep into it to actually ever sit back and say oh yeah that's kind of a like fun little tune you know <laughs> so yeah it's interesting but that so that's how we add songs in fling is just you know that way in uptown it's more like what you guys do once a year there's new tunes here's the songs for 2017 you know let's learn them and right. go yep yeah that's what we do that's january do. to may and then we gig you know we're we're we work enough, May. We will actually, like, if there's a simple song that I know everybody can do. Sure. Like, hey, let's, let's midsummer introduce one or two things just to switch it up on people. But, but, um, yeah. Yeah. And we rehearse once a week, January to May. Yeah. Right. And then yeah, not just after to get that. It, just to get it down. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Keeps it interesting. Thanks for the, uh, the questions, Rob. If you want to see, uh, other answers to Rob's questions, or if you want to ask your own question, visit us. GigGabPodcast.com slash Facebook, because that's where uh, that's where Rob asked. Or you can email us, feedback at GigGabPodcast.com. You got anything else for today, Paul, before we uh, say goodbye to everybody? No, we're good. This was a good conversation. This was a good one for sure. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks, everybody. Fun, uh, 
Fun show. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for making the schedule work this week. Alright. See ya. Hey, uh, always be always. performing. Always. 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 Even then. Yes. Always. <laughs> <laughs>